Hello and welcome back to season three of Cinema at First Sight. Time really flies when you're stuck at home alone doing nothing. Am I right, listeners? Because yes, if you haven't already guessed or if you aren't already affected by it, Sydney is still very much locked down. I'd say more so than ever. Cases going up, hope going down, but that's not what this podcast's about. Instead, let's indulge in some escapism. If this is your first time listening, hello, welcome. The premise of this podcast is that I will watch either the first episode of a TV show or the first half of a movie and make assumptions about it and judge it based on as little information as possible. And true to form, that's of course what I'm going to be doing today. The TV show that I am deciding to tackle is the new Hulu slash Amazon Prime in Australia original, Nine Perfect Strangers. It is a Leanne Moriarty book that Nicole Kidman has once again decided to make into what I'm just gonna assume will be a big Emmys contender. I know it was filmed in Byron Bay during COVID and is jam-packed with a bunch of Australians, so yes, before you ask, I do feel personally offended that I'm not a part of the cast, but let's not make this about me. Just like the iconic Big Little Lies, David E. Kelly, Nicole Kidman, and Leanne Moriarty have decided to come together and tackle this project because the three of them really said let's team up and not invite anyone else into our circle, but I'm here for it. I'm excited to dive in. So first question, is this a rewatch or is this a first time watch? This is definitely a first time watch because I am recording this episode the literal day after it came out. An unsubtle flex. Or maybe it's just an indication of how little I have going on. You decide. Anyway, before I get into a full breakdown and analysis, I'm just going to give you an overview of some of the basic plot points that were covered in this episode. So the show begins with an overhead shot of a smoothie being blended to ominous music. We then see a bunch of different, very privileged people head to a wellness retreat called Tranquillum in LA. But let's be honest, privileged and wellness retreat, a tautology. There's a family consisting of a chipper dad and a distant mum and an unreadable 20-year-old girl, a conceited influencer played by Samara Weaving and her husband, who are clearly on the rocks, an author played by Melissa McCarthy, whose contract is about to be bought out, a homeless-looking Bobby Cannavale, a lone, reserved mother, and a brash, cocky Englishman played by Luke Evans. Obviously, everyone decided to head to Tranquillum for different reasons to fix their very first world problems and emotional damage. Instantly at Tranquillum, the vibes are weird. Phones are banned, everyone's told that they're beautiful, there are also hella security cameras filming their every move. Everyone's given a smoothie upon arrival, which are precisely constructed for every individual's metabolic needs, and sharing is prohibited, which right off the bat seems like a a scientific improbability, so it's probably a scam. But B, I'm feeling like it's a shady vessel for drugs, but that's just me. They announce that they're going to be doing a blood test every few days to, quote, tailor people's wellness journey, and also get people to sign documents allowing this? If people are worried about the COVID vaccine microchipping them, then they should definitely be wary of Tranquillum, because oh my god, what in the invasion of privacy is this? Personally, I'd be out of there immediately. Actually, I wouldn't be able to afford to go there in the first place. Dodged a bullet. In a rare moment of vulnerability, Melissa McCarthy's character Francis starts to have a dainty private breakdown when, out of nowhere, Nicole Kidman, as Russian wellness retreat leader Marsha, pops out to comfort her. 
Actually, comfort's a strong word because her words of wisdom are that literally everyone's here to suffer. Immediately after this, we see Marsha, aka Nicole Kidman, sitting down at some monitors and spying on everyone by watching a live stream of the security footage, and this just once again highlights that things probably aren't as they first appear. Definitely something's off. Personal space, for one. Things get more complicated when we see a wellness retreat worker low-key hypocritically smoking before the group meets for the first time. She says she's stressed because, quote, the vibe seemed charged. But then another employee, played by Jason from The Good Place, comforts her by saying, Marsha knows what she's doing. What exactly is she doing? Apparently she curates and mixes and matches her guests, quote, like a cocktail. To what end? Jury's still out. Finally, at the end of the episode, the guests all gather in the same room. Marsha says that they're all here for 10 days and will leave not as the person they are now, which sounds way more like a threat to me than an affirmation. Most people are buying it, except for Luke Evans, who questions Marsha and asks, who even is she? Because seriously, who is this woman? She replies arguably not with an answer, but with something that raises more questions by saying, my story is, I died. Apparently, she was living in Russia as a heathen, then she got shot, was pronounced medically dead, and Jason from The Good Place brought her back to life. She then says, you are all here to die, I'll bring you back. Here's hoping that's a metaphor, but something also tells me it's not. This severely triggers Ashiketty slash Heather's daughter Zoe, who storms off in tears and causes Heather to have a bit of a rage about how Marge is exploiting their pain, which raises a bunch of questions and leaves everyone in the room feeling super uncomfortable. But Marsha ominously says that that's the point, and that is where we leave off. End of pilot. What an interesting and up-in-the-air note to end on. The tension, the drama, the unsettling nature of wellness culture. We've got a lot to unpack. Which is what we're going to get into right now. First question I have for myself, what are some of my favourite moments slash moments that I consider to be most exciting or most pivotal? This is very small, but one of the things I liked was that the episode began with that overhead shot of the smoothie being blended to a very ominous soundtrack. I think it just sums up the show in a simple opening metaphor. David E. Kelly said wellness culture, but make it even more unsettling than it already is. But he also said, I love imagery and I'm a man of few words. Extension to English students everywhere are frothing. I also really like the premise. I like the idea of a bunch of different people with different emotional baggage coming together and trying to heal in a new wave shared wellness space that is most likely corrupt. Not only is it a comment on wellness culture and its arguable bogus lack of authenticity, but is also just incredibly compelling and I for one have been lured immediately. Clearly, drama is afoot and I am here for it. I also just really like the array of characters and the potential that they have to interact in interesting ways and more importantly, clash. As you can tell, I'm here for a messy time. I think there's a good and interesting mix of personalities that I can definitely see coming up against one another. We've actually already begun to see that. I'll expand on the scenes that I'm describing now later, but so far, Melissa McCarthy's character Francis and Bobby Carnavale's character Tony have immediately got off on the wrong foot. There's also a weird, uncomfortable scene in a hot tub with Samara Weaving's character Jessica, her husband Ben, and Ashiketty slash Heather's husband Napoleon, and definite tension between Daddy Housewife Carmel and Lars, played by Luke Evans. There are a lot of little bombs being laid out, and I'm excited to see them go off. I really don't like what this is saying about me. But nevertheless, I digress. I also just really like, in general, the creepy ambiance and vibe. 
You can't fully identify why it's creepy, but you feel constantly unsettled. Literally take a shot every time I say the word unsettled, because I think it's the perfect word to describe what we're seeing. Like, technically on paper, nothing completely immoral has happened, except for Marsha watching everyone constantly on security cameras, but even that isn't completely unreasonable. A bit dodged, sure, but not evil. There's just a really uncomfortable feeling that things aren't what they appear to be. An insidious underbelly, if you will. And I'm excited to learn more about what exactly that is. And I'm also excited to speculate what exactly that is, but we'll get to that later. In terms of what I think the most pivotal moment is, for most of the episode, it kind of tracks like a pilot typically would, as we're introduced to characters and their circumstances and this new weird location, so there's nothing too explosive. However, the climactic high point will probably be the end when everyone's together and Marsha drops the bomb that she literally died and wants everyone to do the same, and consequentially, Hella triggers Ash's family. It's very dramatic. Very unsettling. Sets up the fact that we're in for a wild, creepy, and exploitative ride that I don't think anyone knew they were signing up for. However, with the good comes the bad, so let's flip that and look at some of my least favourite moments, or moments that I consider to be least exciting or least pivotal. Honestly, there's not much I don't like about it. I'm into it. I'm very lurid. But one thing that bothers me right off the bat, Asha Ketty's American accent. It's really, really bad. Honestly, I'm a bit shocked. I think she's super good in other things I've seen her in on Australian television. And like, yeah, I guess her acting's fine, if not a bit bland and uninspiring, but I just can't get past the horrible accent attempt. Sorry to say it, but stick to Offspring, babes. This is not it. And again, an accent criticism. Another one of my least favorite things, Nicole Kidman's Russian accent. At first I thought she was Australian, and then bad American, and then I only worked out that she was supposed to be Russian when someone referred to her character Marsha as, quote, that Russian woman. But also I actually mind this less. Maybe because I find her character way more interesting than Asha Ketty's, so I'm listening a lot more to what she's saying rather than being completely fixated on how she's saying it. But nevertheless, it's still a bit dodge. Nicole, you have an Oscar. Use it. And then I guess, in terms of a moment that's least pivotal, it would be the uncomfortable scene in the hot tub that I briefly touched on before with Samara weaving her husband and Asha Ketty's husband. In it, Samara's husband accuses Asha's husband of perving on Samara weaving slash Jessica, and then Asha Ketty's husband Napoleon hella tries to backtrack and save face by going on a rant about how hot his wife is and how he's not hot, but it's okay because Jessica and the other guy are equally attractive. It's super uncomfortable and tense and awkward. I really enjoyed hate watching the scene. However, it is seemingly insignificant apart from revealing some things about character. AKA that Jess's husband is paranoid and potentially insecure and very much into creating drama and that Ash's husband Napoleon is weird and kind of creepy and invasive and does not know how to read social cues. However, does it contribute to the grand plot? Not yet, but we'll see. It could come back later, I just don't think it will. But did I dislike the fact that it was a part of the show? No, because not every scene has to be pivotal and contribute to some grand plan. It just created more tension and demonstrated that there is definitely going to be some personality clashes along the way. Now, moving along to who some of my favourite characters are. So at first glance, because that is literally the premise of this podcast, I'm going to say Frances, aka Melissa McCarthy. Her character is incredibly dramatic, very self-involved. I think would probably be a nightmare to be around in real life, but an icon on screen. She's blunt, she has no social filter, but also has a bit of depth because 
she does like to hang out alone and randomly start sobbing. I also just love Melissa McCarthy. I think she has such a great range and is honestly very underrated. She's always comedic gold, but she manages to root this in depth and authenticity and believability. So I definitely want to see more from her. And my other favorite character, who I actually haven't really talked about much so far, is Bobby Carnavale, aka Tony. He's kind of uncouth. I mentioned that he looks like a homeless man. He diagnoses Melissa McCarthy's character with mental illness within two minutes of meeting her. He pees against a tree within 10 minutes of being at the retreat. He's brash and gross, but also kind of funny. He's also very much sticking out like a sore thumb. Dressing like he belongs in a bin in a sea of privilege? A bold move. I applaud his confidence, but also at the same time have no idea why he's there. So I want to see more. Now let's flip that, some of my least favorite characters. Straight up, Heather, aka Asha Ketty. And no, it's not just because of the Dodge accent. She just seems very judgmental and standoffish and cold, and also very involved in her own angst, which is not cute after the age of like 17. Like you're a mother and a wife and clearly incredibly rich. You have a family and hella money. Stop indulging your self-pity and wearing your emotion around. And then another one of my least favorite characters, definitely Lars, aka Luke Evans. He's very judgy, but hypocritically so. He judges the privileged elite while being a part of the privileged elite. The self-awareness, nowhere to be found. He's also obsessed with his phone and his Apple Watch and complains all the time. Like literally, why is he there? This retreat, at first at least, seems completely voluntary, so either suck it up and stop complaining or go home. You can't have it both ways. For some reason, in everything I've seen him in at least, I find Luke Evans to be quite unlikable. I know nothing about him as a person, but his character's always the worst. Maybe he just has one of those phases. I don't know. But Lars, you are the weakest link goodbye. And I flagged this next character as a potential least favorite character moving forward, and that is Jess, aka Samara Weaving. She's a classic conceited influencer, but also not funny enough to be a fun meme from an audience perspective. Instead, her character just seems conceited and frankly, kind of stupid. Which is no shade on Samara Weaving's portrayal, because I think that's exactly how we're supposed to feel about her. But also, maybe this is all a facade and Jessica's actually really nice and all smart and all funny. But at the moment, she's just a bit self-absorbed and vapid, but not to the exaggerated extent where she's a total point of parodied comedy. She's actually too much in the middle ground. I can't love her and I can't love to hate her. But this is only the first episode. I think the character will move more towards either one of those points as the show progresses. Now, moving on to a jam-packed category. Storylines I think will be expanded upon, storylines I think should be expanded upon, or what I want to see more or less of. Obviously, I think the sinister vibes are going to continue and be expanded upon. We get hints like the tailor-made smoothies and the contracts and the blood tests, as well as Marsha straight up watching everyone on security cameras all the time. But why? What is this retreat actually? And what's the end goal of all of this shady behavior? Another thing I think we're going to see more of, I think that Bobby Cannavale's character, Tony, and Melissa McCarthy's character, Francis, are going to hook up. I mean, they clash immediately when she pulls her car over on the way to the retreat and has a freak out on the side of the road after her book contract is bought out. He spots her and says that he thinks that she has mental issues. And that's just some tension that I think's gonna become that classic enemies to lovers trope. I see it happening. You heard it here first. 
And the rest of the things I have in this category are just a whole lot of questions that I would like answered. Number one, this isn't even to do with the plot, but just with the making of the show. Why is it an Australian book originally set in Australia by an Australian author filmed in Australia in Byron with a 90% Australian cast who are mostly all putting on American accents and pretending they're in California? I mean, is Australia really that off-putting to a global market? Probably. Also, why are two of the employees allowed to have Australian accents, but every other Australian in it isn't? I just want to know. Where are the rules and guidelines and specifications about who can be Australian and who can't? But now more importantly, onto the questions I have about the plot. Is the story about Marsha slash Nicole Kidman really that she got shot and brought back to life? Or does she now have no heart? She has a chest scar, so as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, this woman's a robot. Have her vital organs been replaced with machinery? The conspiracy theories are endless. But in general, I just want to know more about every single character and why they're there. Number one, why is Bobby Cannavale there? He calls his daughter, I guess, and leaves a message telling her he's going off the grid, but apparently that's the first she's heard of it. How does he even have enough money to be there? He doesn't look like he could afford actual clothing and definitely does not seem like the wellness culture type. So what's lured him to Tranquillum? Next up, why are Asha Ketty, her husband, and her daughter there? Clearly something happened surrounding death, because when Nicole starts going on about how they're all there to die and be brought back to life, the daughter gets super triggered and storms off, and Asha Ketty gets incredibly defensive, so what's the story there? And what's the deal with that weird, seemingly meek, low-status housewife who is way too into this retreat? Why did she come alone? Why does she dress and act like the literal stereotype of confused, wide-eyed, confidence-lacking female? I don't buy it. There's something deeper there, and probably something disturbing. And yeah, like I was saying in my recount of least favorite characters, why is Luke Evans bothering showing up at all? Because he clearly doesn't want to be there. The only people that it makes total sense are there are Melissa McCarthy slash Francis and Samara Weaving and her husband. They're super privileged. They're in the public eye. They're self-involved. They have very first world problems. They are the wellness retreat target market. Of course they'd see the appeal in spending their constantly flowing income to pop to Tranquillum for a few days, lather themselves in some whale placenta, spout some basic mantras, and leave feeling quote-unquote refreshed. It is up their alley. In fact, it is their alley. I also want to know more about the workers. Obviously, everyone seems insanely robotic and culty, but there was that woman smoking who clearly has some depth and some rebellious tendencies, so I want to see more about that. What it's like on both ends, being a guest and being a constant wellness culture saleswoman. And in terms of what I think is going to happen, I do have a mini conspiracy theory at this stage. I think that Jason from The Good Place is actually in charge of all of this. I think he replaced Nicole's internal organs when she was shot, has made her a robot and the face of this weird retreat, and a bunch of the seemingly perfect employees there were once retreat guests, who he has also fully extracted organs from, and now bending to his will, with the exception of Smoking Girl. Why? I have no idea. Time will hopefully tell. Or... I'm completely wrong, which is very likely. But if that is what is revealed in the final episode, 100% called it. When in doubt, everyone's a robot. Now moving on to the next category, which is most problematic moments. I do have in brackets, if applicable, because I don't want to be nitpicky and look for un-PC moments where there aren't any. 
I mean, in real life, the whole notion of privileged people hanging out with other privileged people in a toxic, self-indulgent environment where they rub each other with crystals and validate the, in inverted commas, hardships and remain as removed from reality as possible is inherently kind of problematic and toxic and very close-minded. And so is the concept of whatever this weird privacy invasion slash organ harvesting center is. However, is the show and the way it's written and produced problematic? Literally not at all. I'm assuming it's satirizing wellness culture and the elitism I just described, while also providing us with a creepy insidious mystery. Satire meets sci-fi. Though, when you really delve into it, I guess the fact that a story making fun of white privileged people with first world problems, written and created by a bunch of white privileged people, is quite hypocritical. But this is television, and frankly, it's a struggle to find showrunners and writers who don't fall into that elite category, so that's more of a comment on the problematic nature of the industry in general. I'm spiralling and going into this far too deeply, but moral of the story, it's a perfectly unproblematic show in the grand scheme of television. Now the next category I have for myself is what category of viewing is it? The three I have laid out are trash, meaning that it's a horrible, poorly written show, treasure, meaning that it's really well written and well acted and well created, or guilty pleasure, meaning that it's not very good. However, I'm into it and I feel guilty about the fact that I want to see more. Obviously, I think this is a treasure. I think it's really well written. I really like the concept. I think on the whole, there are some really great acting performances with the exception of some Dodge accent work from a couple of the cast members. But yeah, it's a great balance of mystery and comedy and lures you in based both on character and plot. And I don't feel remotely guilty about the fact that I have been very much immersed in this world and want to see what happens next. So next question is viewing style. Who would I watch it with? Where would I watch it? And who would I not watch it with? AKA the least and most ideal viewing circumstances. I think that I'd kind of watch this with everyone. Maybe not children who are unsettled, take a shot easily, but for normal aged people, it's great and incredibly intriguing. Definitely I would not watch this in a big group because I actually want to be able to hear what's going on and keep up with the plot and pick up on any subtle hints our holy trio David E. Kelly, Nicole Kidman, Leanne Moriarty are throwing at us. So I'd recommend an intimate, analytical group of people who aren't particularly talkative so you can actually focus. Or honestly, alternatively, watching it alone. Probably ideal. However, probably least ideal viewing circumstance, watching this at a wellness retreat. Good luck getting a good night's sleep. Now the second last question, will I keep going with the rest of the season? I mean, obviously, yeah, 100%. I'm gonna be watching the next two episodes that are out immediately after I finish recording this podcast. I wanna know what happens. David, Leanne, Nicole really know how to hook me into a mystery, murderer otherwise, and this is no exception. And now final question, overall rating out of five, I think I'm gonna give this a solid four out of five. It's really good. The acting, the writing, really solid. The concept is great, compelling, the mystery's real. There are heaps of questions I want to see answered. And I'm also really enjoying coming up with my own conspiracy theories. It's interactive viewing, if you will. There are so many promising characters that I'm dying to see interact more, and I think it's a great start. I cannot wait to see where it goes. And that's pretty much all I have for you. If you have Hulu in America, I would definitely recommend watching it. If you have Amazon Prime in Australia, definitely hop onto that. And I will talk to you next week when I review something that I have not chosen yet, as always, because I'm unprepared. Talk to you then. Bye.